it's Tuesday, October the 19th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Colin Powell dies and North Korea keeps up the fireworks. First, the world in brief. Colin Powell, America's former Secretary of State and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, died of COVID-19, aged 84, despite being fully vaccinated. He was the first black man to hold either position. George H.W. Bush appointed him as the youngest person ever to serve as America's highest-ranking military officer in 1989. Under George W. Bush, He was the country's top diplomat from 2001 to 2005. Russia is suspending its permanent mission to NATO in Brussels in retaliation for the expulsion on October 6th of eight of its diplomats for spying. NATO's military liaison and information offices in Moscow will also be closed. The move marks a further deterioration in already bad relations between Russia and the Western Alliance. North Korea fired at least one ballistic missile into Japanese waters on Tuesday, according to Japan's and South Korea's armed forces. The UN has prohibited North Korea from testing such missiles, but that apparently does little to slow its weapons program. Last week, Kim Jong-un, North Korea's supremo, vowed to build a, quote, invincible military to protect his country. America's Food and Drug Administration is reported to be on the verge of allowing vaccinated Americans to mix and match a different brand of vaccines for their booster jabs. According to the New York Times, the FDA will not object to anyone who has taken two doses of, say, the Pfizer vaccine from topping up with one of the Moderna, nor vice versa. Donald Trump, America's former president, sued the Congressional Committee investigating the Capitol riot in an attempt to block the release of White House records. He asked a judge to declare lawmakers' request for materials invalid and cited executive privilege, the president's right to keep some communications confidential. His lawsuit described the investigation as, quote, a vexatious, illegal fishing expedition. As car makers race to electrify, Toyota committed $3.4 billion through 2030 to build batteries in America, part of a $13.5 billion global investment pot announced in September. About $1.3 billion will go towards opening a factory. Separately, Stellantis, another auto manufacturer, struck a deal with LG Energy Solution, a Korean firm, to build its own battery plant in North America. Germany's Free Democratic Party voted to start formal coalition talks with the Social Democrats and the Greens. Now that all three parties have officially approved the idea of a, quote, traffic-like coalition, negotiators for the Greens and the FDP will try to wrangle policy concessions and ministerial roles out of the Social Democrats, who won the most seats in September's elections. And fact of the day. 27. Britain's rank out of the then 28 members of the European Union for the legal protection of academic freedom in 2017. A campaign of harassment against a philosophy professor suggests free speech is under threat. (music) 
And now, here's today's agenda. Squids in. Netflix's earnings. The world's biggest streaming service disappointed Wall Street last quarter when it revealed tepid growth in subscribers. Its earnings report today should tell a different tale. The main driver of subscriptions is new content. Though scarce earlier this year because of the disruption caused by COVID-19, the pipeline is filling up again. Old favourites like Money Heist and Sex Education are back with new episodes, and Squid Game, a dystopic South Korean thriller, has proved to be Netflix's biggest ever hit. Squid Game has got investors particularly excited, and not just because of its action-packed plot. Asia is shaping up to be the biggest source of new customers as Western markets become saturated, so making local hits is a must. And the Korean show's popularity is further proof that foreign language fare can have mainstream success. Netflix's diverse commissioning, from Nigerian crime drama to Russian romance, should help bring in subscribers in all markets. Terror in Tigray Ethiopia's Civil War On Monday, government bombs reportedly fell on Mokele, the capital of Tigray, a region in the north of Ethiopia. It has only been two weeks since the Ethiopian government launched its latest and supposedly final offensive against rebels from Tigray. Far from being defeated, fighters aligned to the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front are advancing, meeting only patchy resistance. They may now be in a position to catch Edesi, a strategic town some 200 kilometers south of Tigray. Soon they may be able to launch an assault on Addis Ababa, the capital and seat of the federal government. America has threatened to slap sanctions on officials if the government does not enter negotiations or halt its months-long blockade of Tigray. Abi Ahmed, the Prime Minister, last week called Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary-General, and hinted he might be willing to talk with the rebels. But the TPLF, smelling victory, rejected the idea. With no end in sight, sanctions seem more probable than peace. Open Season Japan's General Election Campaigning for Japan's general election, called by its Prime Minister, Kishida Fumio, the day he was sworn into office, began on Tuesday. The election comes on October 31st. With wind in his sails and COVID-19 figures falling, the ruling Liberal Democratic Party's leader hopes a quick poll will return his coalition with renewed strength. Mr Kishida has spoken of the LDP being, quote, reborn, and talks up a, quote, new model of capitalism, more redistributive than that of his predecessors. But his more radical ideas are notably absent from his party's manifesto. Ultimately, he stands as a continuity candidate. Mr Kashida's economic policy, which includes an enormous stimulus plan, may still be enough to steal a march on the opposition. Wrong-footed economically, the Constitutional Democratic Party hopes that its social liberalism, including its support for gay marriage, will sway voters. But the prospective coalition it leads would need more than double its current tally of seats for a majority. Polling suggests that is unlikely. 
moving swiftly on. India's consumer goods sector. After the pandemic battered the Indian economy last year, the market for fast-moving consumer goods, an indication of the spending power of the poor, has recovered quickly. Lockdowns were lifted and vaccines went into arms, unleashing pent-up demand. That propelled Hindustan Unilever's stock to a one-year high last month. Its results, due on Tuesday, should give an indication of the sector's health. Analysts are bullish. Price-sensitive rural consumers spend half of their household income on goods such as detergents, shampoos and soaps, often in small quantities. Hindustan Unilever employs women for door-to-door sales across 100,000 villages with populations of 2,000 or fewer. India's 15 million or so family-owned Kirana shops fuel the industry's growth, offering services such as credit, free deliveries and ordering via messaging apps. According to one estimate, the industry will grow by almost 15% annually. At that rate, it'll scrub up well. By 2025, it will be worth $220 billion, double last year's value. The future of food. The next thing you eat. When he opened Momofuku in New York back in 2004, David Chang was something of a meat purist. The soon-to-be celebrity chef extolled the virtues of bacon in all its forms and implemented a quote, no substitution policy for his dishes served by his restaurant. Vegetarians be damned. With climate change worsening, however, Mr. Chang is changing the menu. In The Next Thing You Eat, a documentary series premiering on October 21st on Hulu, a streaming service, he accepts the inevitability of alternatives, such as lab-grown meat. The show explores the many ways in which what and how we eat is changing. Some innovations, such as genetically engineered dinosaur meat, are still only food for thought. But some of those featured in the series can already be sampled in eateries around the world. Despite the clear need for drastic changes to food systems, people have been slow to adapt. If Mr. Chang can be convinced, maybe he can sway other holdouts. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Lewis Mumford, who was born on this day in 1895. I'm a pessimist about probabilities. I'm an optimist about possibilities. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 